You are on the 14th Step, a podcast about addiction and recovery. We are sponsored by the Golden Crescent Regional Recovery Initiative and affiliated with the Billy T. Catan Recovery Outreach Center right here in Victoria, Texas. You can learn about both organizations in the description below the video. My name is Mark. I'm a professional counselor and... My name is Skip and I'm a recovery coach or a peer recovery specialist. Wow. Yes. So what are we going to talk about today? I was going to ask you the same question. You know, I think uh, as we meet with people and have meetings during the week, different topics come up. Yeah. And I think talking about some of those would be a good idea. So uh, I've got a few topics we can chat about today. Let's just riff off of it. That come off. Let's let's talk about... um, I'm completely unprepared. That's okay. Let's talk about trauma. Let's let's jump in with both feet. It's a nice easy one to start with. A nice off easy with. one to start with. So what is trauma? <laughs> oh well, let me let me ask you this. How many <laughs> I'm gonna flip the question back on you. <laughs> How many in in cases when you talk to recovering addicts does trauma play a part? Uh, in their addiction, all of them. Mm. I think all of them, and I, I personally have the theory, and it's not my theory, but that it's the theory that I work with that addiction is a condition caused by trauma. Mm-hmm. I don't think that addiction is necessarily about drugs and alcohol, which is frustrating. When our, our all of our diagnostic stuff is all about drug and alcohol use. Um. I think addiction, the condition itself, is um, predates any kind of drug or alcohol use. Absolutely. And I think that the drug and alcohol is a symptom of that unresolved trauma, and it becomes the medicine for it. It's the solution for it. It is. So I, I think that trauma that happens, some kind of wound that happens at an earlier age— most likely in developmentally uh, childhood kind of thing or adolescence, that kind of carries with someone until they discover a drug or a drink in the normal course of, you know, teenage experimentation or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for those people that already have that wound, the effect of that drug is so profound that it fixes that problem. It does. And it does. Yeah, especially very well. At the, especially at the beginning. It's remarkably effective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I think of in those exact situations, and you're talking about childhood trauma yeah. or, you know, where, where somebody would be more of a victim. Uh, but it, it can also be uh, how many times have you come across somebody that's had an injury trauma or some trauma as an adult and finds that getting on some sort of a drug helps to take away that trauma as well, like PTSD from a situation or, or, you know, you have surgery and then you start taking medication. I mean, I'm sure that happens all the time. Oh yeah. You know, I think injuries, uh, which is literally like trauma, you know, it's a, it's a physical trauma, right? Mm -hmm. But injuries, can also be emotionally traumatic because if your quality of life is lowered because of surgery 
or you can't do the things that you want to do, that will affect self-esteem. And then an opiate medication, which is usually prescribed, and especially 20 years ago, you could stub your toe and get 90 hydrocodone for it. I was told I've, I've had both my hips replaced. Yeah. And I was told as a, as a, as a younger man that I was at that time, that's a pretty rare uh, surgery mm-hmm. to have something like that. And there'd be significant downtime. And I was told that it was going to affect me psycho- psychologically a lot because you're going to feel very helpless. Yeah. And that's very tough for a man in his 30s. And it re- it happened. For it sure. It really happened. I couldn't do anything for myself for several weeks, you know. So you're very dependent on people. And somebody that's not used to that, man, that can that – can, that can affect you weird. You For know? sure. Yeah. And the the medication prescribed, the way that opiates work is more than just numbing pain. And they're not even that great at numbing pain. No, it's not more, at all. It changes your perception of pain because you're no longer uh, despairing over it. You don't feel so bad about I, it. I think it does that much more than it does alleviate oh, the yeah. pain. For sure. Yeah. And so the side effect of that is whatever emotional pain that you might be experiencing because you're frustrated or you feel isolated. I mean, it has to feel isolating to have hip surgeries when you're, you said you were in your 20s? In my 30s. In your 30s. When you're young and you want to do things, you know, and all of a sudden you can't do the things that you used to be able to. There yep. has to be some emotional stuff that goes with that. My big, I put it off for a long time because my big thing was, look, I know, I know it's bad right now, mm-hmm. but I know what I have and what I can deal with. And what scared me about it was the unknown of as soon as they're going to take, they're going to take nat- something natural out of me and put something mechanical yeah. or metal in me. I have absolutely no prediction of what that's going to do for me in the future so it scared me a little bit it's scary to be on an operating table i've been on an operating table before and it's cold you have like you know 10 people looking over you with blades and saws and it's kind of freaky it's very freaky anyway (laughs) going back in in trauma and people that are victims of childhood trauma I don't know I don't know how that's fixable. I don't know how it's fixable either. It's it's really hard to even describe it. I've been working in the addiction treatment field for about 10 years roughly. And just defining what addiction is is really difficult. It's a complicated problem. And by the time you get someone who's been using for 10 years, 20 years, and I can think about myself too. I use for about that long. And you ask someone, well, why, why do you use? They don't know. Nobody even knows. You use because you found it when you were younger. Someone gave it to you and you took it. And for a reason that is really beyond your conscious mind, it was relieving of something. Mm-hmm. It relieved something that you didn't even know could be relieved, but it felt right. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I actually gave a, a lecture on on the nature of childhood trauma and how that affects someone um, in a really profound way. 
And it made a lot of sense to me because I, I think that when we're talking about an addiction, an addiction is a relationship. An addiction is a relationship that someone enters into that feels very safe and it's comforting. It's more than just a, a habit or um, just something to do that's fun. It's it, it gets into your personal psyche. It does, like, and it, it really it's, becomes it's relational. It becomes the primary relationship in a person's life. It does because we will prioritize that relationship over any other relationship that we have, that's including right. our spouse, our children, whoever else. And really, it becomes so dominant that that the relationship that someone will have with their drug becomes the means to have relationships with other people. Right. And that was something that I've had to latch onto because it's very frustrating, uh, especially working with parents who are choosing drugs over their kids. Well, why would they do that? Why mm -hmm. would someone do that? That's right. And in talking to them, you know that they love their kids. Mm-hmm. Because they'll say it and you you believe them. I mean, there's no reason to think that they don't love their kids. Right. But the relationship that they have with their drug is kind of the avenue that they can feel okay to even interact with anyone else. And you know what, if I can say this the right way, that relationship they have with the drugs, depending on their lifestyle, their situation, their personal relationships, that will dictate every chain reaction yeah. down the line mm -hmm. that is going to spiral that into serious trouble and 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 where they may end up 5 or 10 years down the road if 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 somebody never had any issues getting any of their medication or their drugs and it was just at the whim that would be one thing, but then you have issues where you can't get it anymore. Doctors quit prescribing it. People go to uh, ridiculous means to get it, mm -hmm. and and that affects. That's a chain reaction that has you spiraling downhill. And when they finally come to treatment, it's just a a, a ball tangled twine. Yep, and. It's like you said, they're so, it's so far down this road, you can't even almost explain how you got there in the first place. You have no idea. And, it's, and we've talked about this before, and it breaks my heart when someone who's had childhood trauma and has been a victim, a true victim in every sense of the word, that none of it was their fault. Right. But they, as they get older, they react to it and find a drug that helps numb them of those bad thoughts. Right. And they go down this road to where they're completely addicted and they finally come for help and then someone tells them they have to take personal responsibility over what's happened in their life and they just throw their hands up in the air and say, what are you talking about? I, I, it, what, none of this was my fault. Right. How, I can't begin to imagine where that are. And that, that brings me to my second subject to this, what we're going to talk about, but is empathy. Yeah is before I went through recovery, my empathy level was really low. Mm -hmm. And and it, I don't think it's because I never had it. It's because I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. But going through recovery and coming to meetings, my empathy has gone out the roof for people. And I think it's changed me profoundly as to be a better 
a, a better person and a more understanding person to listen more than I talk because yeah. I'm a type of guy that's going to just talk too much like I'm doing right now. I de- empathy is something cuz I've I've done so much of what other people have done that it's hard to judge them for it. Uh I use for so long and and the way that I would justify using is I could find someone worse off than me. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, well, at oh, least yeah. I'm not doing that. Right. At least I'm not smoking crack. Or well, we all do that. Yeah. On that, anything. On anything. Always. And it kind of fuels whatever uh, behavior that we're doing, and it prevents us from having to change. Because I don't really need to change because this guy over here is doing so much worse than I am. So I must be doing okay. What happened with me personally is as the drugs that I was doing got worse and worse, and as I found myself in kind of lower and lower places... I wasn't really able to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to get desperate because how far am I going to go? How far down is this is this rabbit hole? Being in recovery gave me a way to be truly empathetic to other addicts. Because I can sit in a meeting and say, my name's Mark and I'm an addict. Right. And there's no contact, there's no uh, qualifier to that. Right. It's not like, my name's Mark and I'm an addict and this is what I make and this is the job I do and this is the kind of family I have. It's just, I'm an addict. And so that really levels the playing field for anyone that's in recovery in a meeting like that. I think that's what's special about those meetings is as different as everybody is in there, there's a common denominator of why you're there and it's your name and you're an addict. And I have found great value in what other people say in the meeting. And I have no idea how much they have or where they're coming from. Or It's like we're all in this same boat together and we've all got a bucket and we're all like trying to pour the water out right. to keep from sinking. But we're doing it together. That's right. And I can relate to what another person says. If someone walks in the room and they're like, man, I just really want to get high today. I can relate to that. Yeah. I can't judge them for it. It's impossible for me to judge them for it because I'm sitting in that room recovering from the same thing. And you know, to me, having empathy for people now is, is it's part of inspiring me too, because even if somebody comes to a meeting that, is saying I just want to get high today, or that, or that said I used yesterday, and or did this. Whatever made them come to the meeting yeah. that day, I want to hear that because that inspires me. Because I, it's a miracle that we're all sitting in that room. I pray that I would have the courage to go to a meeting the day after I use. I pray for that, mm-hmm. and I I'm inspired by the courage that it takes. For anybody to walk into a room, uh, a recovery meeting, or to show up at a counselor's office or to reach out because I'm terrible at reaching out for help. Absolutely. I don't like reaching out for help. So I recognize the kind of conviction and resilience that it takes just to do that. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives me a lot of hope for myself, I guess. like It, it, give, it, it inspires me. Um for me as a counselor, and this is the 
the problem that I have, it's my own shortcoming, is that I start to get uh, doing, I start to, to get to doing good, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. And doing good and feeling good about doing well is one thing. Being complacent and um, thinking that I've got it beat or thinking that I've got it under control or wanting other people to think that I have it under control. When someone walks into my office, it's, it's easy for me to lose that empathy sometimes because I'm going back to that thing like, well, you just need to do this and that. If you just did this and that, then you would get better. Like me, you should just be more like me. Uh, yeah. And it's so easy to get into that mode because it. we want to jump into uh, do what I say. You yeah. Know what I mean? do, if you just, if you were just more like me, you would be better. And if there's enough of that, if we do enough of that, what what is it? We get to a, a point of apathy. Well, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's, it, it's a complacency and it's a very self-centered kind of complacency. It is. Which is like, I'm good enough to where, or I'm smart enough to have beaten this thing. And I can fix you. And I can, and yeah. <laughs> and boy, is that, how wrong is that? That sets me up for complete failure because what if I lose my humility when it comes to recovery and I do relapse, God forbid, I relapse down the line and I fall hard, it is going to be really hard for me to come dragging myself after I've told a whole bunch of people that if they were more like me or just did what I said that they would be okay. And what's funny is you don't have to say those words, be more like me. It's our actions it, and the it, way we carry ourselves. That's what we're emote. It's just it's just oozing off. That's of what us. I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've done personally for that would is try to understand it. I wanna I think empathy is understanding. Yes. I think it's understanding that comes from experience. It's also understanding of why people do the things that they do because that humanizes someone. If you have a parent who has young children and they're using and they have a CPS case and all they have to do is, you know, all they have to do is stop using in order to keep their kids and they keep using. It's easy to get frustrated with that person. Right. Because it is frustrating. Because you think about the kids, you think about who's being hurt by this person's actions. The more you understand about, for example, the nature of trauma and how it pr- compels someone to behave the way that they're behaving, the, the less stigmatized that person can be. Mm-hmm. Or, the, or the, the more compassion you feel for that person rather than just like, oh, you just, need to, you just need to put the drug down. And if I had a dollar for every time someone told me that when I was using, well, why don't you just stop? It's like, wow, I never thought of that one, you know? Man, really? I know. I like, that's that? all I have to do? Yeah. You know, in in talking uh, to guys that I'm coaching, I have got to constantly remind myself, don't tell them a solution that I need to find out where I can help in a process that may lead to a solution down the road. But it's a it is a process, and I've got to be trying to help suggest ways that they can jump aboard that process. And because 
That's the worst thing is do what I say and then it doesn't work. And then they're done. You've lost them. Yeah. Because, well, you told me. You know, I mean, that's a tough place to be. And and we, I, I have to really watch that because I tend to, when the conversation gets a little quiet and they're not talking much, I want to start talking. And I cannot put myself in a position where I'm an authority figure and giving them a list of instructions and hey if you do ABC that's your prescription man that you're going to be you're going to be good it doesn't work that way in recovery no and and nobody wants a parent either it, or a parental kind of yes you know, yes attitude um it it's hard people in addiction have certain traits that make finding solutions difficult because number one, they already have a solution. Yeah. They already have a solution. A a good one. Yeah. And it works. Yeah, it works. So anytime they know what to do, if they're starting to feel. Yep. And it's a, it's an easier way. And human beings, we always look for the path of least resistance. Amen. Uh, And getting high is, is the path of least resistance. It's an easy thing to do. And people in addiction are tend to be self-centered because they're probably isolated. They've had to protect uh, themselves to survive in some way. So they're highly critical of other people because they're critical of themselves and they're, they don't trust. It's hard for someone in their addiction to trust another person because they've probably been hurt before. And, and going into like this third topic that I'm talking about is you'll have people that come to meetings that are mentally ready and you can just tell. Yeah. Then you have people that are compelled to be there for one reason or Mm -hmm. another and they're not ready and you can just tell. Mm -hmm. Where where is that switch in self-exploration? Where does that switch get pushed, in your opinion, that takes them from not ready to ready because in my own story I tried to quit so many times whatever over 20 years you know my wife and I were just talking about this Saturday how many times that I probably tried to quit and I was like I probably tried to quit at least once a year that I gave it a really honest try so who knows maybe 15 times you know 18 times but what happened those times what was different about this last time I can tell you my own experience I I was ready. I was ready to stop. I had been using pharmaceutical drugs for a long time, and I I was at a place where my man, I was stretched thin. Like I, I didn't really. I knew I had to stop, and I wasn't getting any younger. And there were things that I really wanted to do with myself that I could not do when I was taking the drugs I was taking. Simple things like travel. Yeah. Like oh, I I want to. I can't even get on a plane. Yeah. That's right. Because it, it's impossible. Yeah. It's in, it's not possible. Um, I was putting myself in situations that I really didn't want to be in. I was compromising everything that I valued in myself. Um, so I think I was ready. But I can tell you the moment that I really believed in recovery. Because I went to rehab cold. I knew nothing about it. When I believed in recovery is whenever... It was an NA meeting that they had at the facility that we were staying at. And so they would bring in NA guys to come and talk to us. Mm -hmm. And there was this young kid who 
obviously had lived a, a life of addiction that and I believed what he was talking about. I mean, this kid was covered in tattoos. He was young. He wasn't a professional. He wasn't paid to be there. The only motivation that he had was that he had something that he wanted to share with us who were in rehab. And when I heard him tell his story and there was so much confidence and love for us that was kind of just the energy that was coming out of him, I was like, I want what he has. Wow. I wanted what that guy had because I could tell that he had truly found something that was so powerful that he wanted to give it to other people. And I was sitting there in rehab and I didn't have anything to give because I was just taking. Right. That was a switch for me that I was like, oh, so recovery is about giving rather than taking. And recovery is always the opposite of addiction. And we've talked about that so many times. Yep. It takes what addiction is and it flips it on its head and it kind of compels us to do the opposite of that. And you have to do the opposite. You have to. And especially at the beginning, everything that your brain tells you yep. to do is wrong. If your brain tells you to isolate, you better get over to a place where there's people. That's right. If your brain tells you that you don't want to share what you're feeling, you better share what you're feeling right. with someone. You're, you have to do the opposite of what your addiction is screaming at you to do. Because your addiction is has control of your brain. That's right. Complete control. Complete. In a profound biological way in the same way that breathing and eating and drinking water has on our brain it becomes an instinctual drive that's very very difficult to break out of and it's connected to every emotion and thought that we have which is why i believe that it's a it's it's really a kind of a day-to-day thing for me and you know you what you just said there may be only one thing more powerful than that and that is the feeling of helping another person. I think so. And there is where empathy comes into play. That is where your past experience with trauma, if you look at it in a stance that, if you look at it from perspective that you have experience in something traumatic, that you can share and help somebody that's going through the same thing. When you get that feeling of giving and helping, yeah, that may be the only thing that can is stronger than that addiction. It is because when you when you help someone, you realize that you have value. You're you have worth, right? And trauma for me, it, what I think about trauma, it, trauma can happen to anybody, but not everyone is affected by trauma in the same way. Of course. Some people are highly resilient and go on and are never really affected by it, even profound childhood abuse. Right. But I think the thing that for people that are that are temperamentally affected by trauma that might be have the kind of temperament to be affected by trauma um, will use the traumatic things as a personal reflection of themselves. So it becomes like a a self-rejection, like I wasn't strong enough, I wasn't good enough, I couldn't protect myself, I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy of of whatever because this happened to me. Yeah, especially kids, they have a, a way of of turning things around to where they make it think like everything's their fault. That is the real tragedy of child abuse. 
young children can't differentiate their own self from their parent. That's right. They don't understand the, the, the context that I'm a person and my parent's a person and my parent has their own motivations and the things that they do, that's on them. Right. For a child to be rejected or hurt by their parent, it it becomes their self-rejection. That's right. And identity. Right. Mm-hmm. And that identity is carried through and it makes all other interactions with other people feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. It taints it. Right. And so there's a... There's an isolation there. And guess what? Drug is a very safe relationship. And maybe, God willing, in the future, they're able to come to a point to where they can use that experience and and turn it around and help somebody else. When you do that, I don't think there's any other way to heal that sense of worthlessness than to use the very thing that gave you that that isolation and use it to build someone else up. You're using the thing that created that sense of I'm not good enough to help someone. And I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but you like, are to to build someone up. And that and at the same time you're realizing that this thing actually gives me value and worth rather than what I thought. Yep. It did. Yep. And there's a bigger picture of your life that you start getting to see your life from a bigger perspective than uh, than what you thought it was. It flips the whole there's narrative. There's a reason that you've for you been, to be here. Right. It, it flips that whole narrative that you've been telling yourself for so long. That's why recovery can only happen in the context of a community. That's mm-hmm. why there's that thing. You can't do it by yourself because you have to interact and make connections with other people to heal that stuff. That's right. That's right. Well, it was good today, man. Very good. Yeah, very good. Thanks for the topics. Make sure you like and subscribe to this YouTube page, and please share uh, the links down below of our social media. Thanks for joining us.